Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special Talking Comics podcast. Um, I am your host, Bobby, and I'm here with Steve. Hello. Stephanie. Hello. And joining us, very special guest, writer of The Flash and Foster, Brian Bucciolato. How's it going? It's going great, man. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Um, so... We want to start out. A lot of our listeners like to know kind of how he got started in the in the whole comic book world. Um, what's your starting out story? Well, my starting out story is a little bit different than other people. Um, I, like I said, uh, off the air, that's what we call it. <laughs> uh, I grew up in New York, and I went to an art high school, High School of Art and Design in, uh, in Manhattan. And uh, my brother also went there. And... Uh, what he did was he took an internship at Marvel Comics in the 80s and uh, parlayed that into an editorial position and learned to color comic books back in the day, uh, back in the day when uh, it was not digital. And so uh, in the early 90s, uh, he moved out to uh, L.A., and uh, that's when Photoshop and the digital age started, and he learned how to color. And uh, so I was uh, living in Queens, not doing much, and he was like, why don't you come to L.A.? And I'll teach you how to color comics. And I was like, sure. And so I did. And I've been coloring ever since. Uh, I worked with him for two years with the Electric Crayon, which was his uh, coloring studio. I colored uh, that first one of Generation X, uh, Uncanny X-Men with Joe Madiera, a lot of Chris Pacello stuff, uh, Astro City. And uh, then I went out on my own. And uh, I've been making a living doing uh, the coloring side for quite some time. Awesome. How did you transition from the, the, the coloring side into the writing Side of well, I mean, it's funny because, uh, I mean, most of the, the comic world at large, you know, I'm uh, the colorist who's trying to be a writer, but that's not actually the case. <laughs> um, I've been writing for like 15 years, um, uh, living out here in L.A. Uh, strangely, uh, I tried acting for like a year and uh, I kept getting like these auditions for uh, gangbanger roles because of my bald head. <laughs> and so that was frustrating. And then I would get cast in these, you know, like low budget indie type of things. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that uh, I could write better than them. And so my love of film and all genre st- uh, stuff just made me want to create. And so I decided that I wanted to write. And so I, I started working on uh, screenwriting. And uh, over the years, uh, I've had a little bit of success. Um, I teamed up with, uh, I met uh, somebody who became a good friend of mine, Tim Story, who uh, directed uh, Fantastic Four and Barbershop and uh, a few other things. And so I've done a lot of writing for him, some ghost writing, and uh, and I've got some scripts in development with him. So uh, when Francis uh, was offered the the chance to write Flash, um, we've been friends for, you know, nine, ten years, and I've uh, worked with him for a long time. Uh, He knew that, A, 
he didn't really have any formal uh, writing experience, and B, I did. And uh, we've always worked well together, and we're good friends. So he offered me the uh, the opportunity to work with him, and I was like, uh, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> awesome, awesome. That's, um, that's <laughs> do you want to write the Flash? No, no, yeah. I'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get into the Flash stuff, um, you recently um, started uh, put out an uh, independent comic called Foster that that yes. you've written, um, and there's a view it up on our site, obviously, but. Um, where did you get the idea for Foster? And I mean, tell people out there what it's about as well. Okay, well, basically, Foster is, um, it takes place in a fictional world that, uh, what I'm calling uh, Vintage City, which is like 1972, 1974 New York crime movies uh, and horror movies. Uh, and so it's just a world, it's a world where um, where there's, there's no cell phones and, you know, it's completely analog and it's gritty and it just harkens back to my, you know, my youth. You know, I'm, uh, I'm 41 years old, so, you know, that's sort of my like melancholy sweet spot. You know, the the uh, the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to write something in that world. And uh, when you're writing, you shouldn't just say, "Hey, I want to write about this world," and then start coming up with plot. You should write something that's meaningful to you. So I started exploring what I would like to write about, and uh, I decided I want to write about fatherhood. So uh, in this world. Um, uh, there are these creatures called dwellers, and dwellers are basically your worst nightmare. They are um, uh, werewolves and vampires and uh, all those like boogeyman type stories uh, in reality. So they're not vampires and they're not werewolves, but they're sort of like the primitive primal creature that people think are those things. They live uh, on the fringes of society, and uh, and uh, so they basically like to do three things. They like to eat, they like to have sex, and they like to kill. And so they don't form uh, sophisticated societies on their own, and they're content to just live in the shadows. So that's the world that uh, I created. And the story is about a boy and a, um, a man who is haunted by his past, who uh, takes, up, takes it upon himself to protect this boy when the dwellers decide they want to kill the kid. Mm. And... Um, you have to sort of read the comic to find out why they want to kill him and what is uh, interesting or special or unique about this child. And uh, that was sort of born out of my, uh, my being a father and my, my wanting to write about parenthood and protection. Great. Um, actually, we have a question, I think, from a listener that's somewhere in, somewhat in that vein. Oh, yeah. Don't we, Stephanie? Yeah. Why don't we you, do. Yeah. Um, Kyle W., who is Zot800 on Twitter, uh, he wanted to know... If your son has read Foster, and if so, what was his reaction? Uh, my son, yes, his name is Paris, and he has he has absolutely read it, and uh, he doesn't really like say, "Wow, that's awesome," or, or you know, he doesn't really speak in those terms with my stuff. What he likes to do is he likes to rewrite it his own way. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts spinning a whole. He took it and he wanted to run with it when where the dwellers should do this and the dwellers should do that and. And so basically it'll go on like a half hour um, tangent about what I should be writing. And then I say thank you. And, and he's like, so are you going to write it? So you're going to put it in there? You're going to do it like that? I'm like, I kind of have my own direction, but thank you, Paris. Dad, you're doing that. it wrong. So he's probably going to be like 10 times the writer that I am because he's already, you know, he's already the idea man. So he's only 11. 
<laughs> do you is tell him that to... that's why you went independent in the first place not to have to hear that stuff from people <laughs> right i'm like dude come on man i don't need an editor i just want to write my own story <laughs> um uh he, you know, what's funny is he doesn't like writing in school like he says he likes math and i don't like math i don't know where he got that from but uh, uh he's a storyteller and he's very creative so i think he just hasn't figured out that he likes writing yet Gotcha. Um, so I mentioned, you know, the no editor, the independent thing. Why did you decide to do Foster in an independent manner? Well, I mean, I joked because, you know, you, you joked about because, you know, not wanting to take orders, but that's a big part of it. Um, you know, uh, working in any industry, anytime you're paid to do something, you have to do what other people say ultimately because somebody else is paying you, so they're the bottom line. Uh, so oftentimes you have to compromise uh, yourself creatively, and which is fine because it's you know comics, uh, writing movies, all that stuff. It's it's commercial art. It's a it's a commercial art form. So you have to have that expectation that you're not the final say, mm-hmm. um, and you accept that. And if you can't accept that, then you shouldn't do it. You know. So uh, when I came with this idea, it was very close to me and very dear to me, and I just thought to myself a couple things. I said, uh, why, you know. Why should I compromise what I want to do? What, what am I going to get for it? What's the trade-off? So I could have gone to a small publisher. I could have uh, gone with the, pro- with the project and uh, you know set it up with someone. I'm not that I'm a big name or anything, but I think I had a, enough clout to land with somebody. Right. Uh, but uh, I just decided I want to do it on my own. I don't. I don't want to answer to anybody, and I don't want to have to uh, to give up. Uh, any part of the IP because um, I want this to be an ongoing comic book series um, and I also would like to translate it into another medium you know I'd love to be able to do it as a TV show or something and uh, I want to control that and if you if you go with another company you know they usually they offer you a couple things right they'll offer you they may pay for the you know the production uh, they'll pay for the printing mm-hmm. um, and then they'll say well, well we've got our Hollywood contact and we can get meetings and we can sell it and for that we want half well, right. I mean, the the truth of it is that I don't need that. I have connections in Hollywood, and um, I've been able to afford to pay out who needs to get paid uh, to get it made. So all I really needed was um, marketing and uh, production. And most of these smaller companies, they don't really do a great job of marketing anyway. So that just left me with production. So I was like, well, I'll just bite the bullet and figure out how to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's great. Um, Steve, you had some questions about Foster, Yeah, right? I got a question. Um, how did you end up hooking up with, uh, is it Noel uh, Tauzon? Yes, I, I have never heard his name pronounced by him because uh, he's in Canada, and we basically just uh, email each other. Um, a good uh, pal of mine, Rob Levin, who does a lot of, uh, he's worked for Top Cow, and he works for CBR, and he does a lot of freelance, he's a writer also, a, a good writer actually. And uh, he does a lot of uh, freelance editorial uh, type stuff. And uh, so I asked him, uh, you know, he lives uh, on my block and I've known him for a long time. I said, hey, I need to find some artists. And so he gave me three names and uh, I talked to them all. And um, I liked what, uh, you know, I liked uh, Noel's vibe. I thought it worked for the story. Yeah, it's totally got um, like a a 70s vibe to the art style that fits the, the mood of the comic perfectly. I, I love it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like it too. You know, I mean, I know it's like in some, in some form, you know, it, it's a little bit crude in some ways and gestural, but I like that. I think, I think that, um, that it, it definitely works with the mood of the story. So in the tone. Yeah, totally. It gives a lot of nuance to it, I think. 
So I like the um the like the one uh panel in the beginning with one of the uh the dwellers uh in the backyard was was just awesome. That like immediately pulled me into the book. Oh great. Yeah, I I you know, I was I get happy with every page he does. And it's interesting because like some artists, you know, they don't, they only want to draw like two panels and they want it to be splash pages. He actually adds more. Interesting. Like, like you know, and and so I learned that early on. I was like, okay, he's not the splash page guy, so I'm going to just tell story in panels. And so I started intentionally writing the story with more and more panels because I felt like that, that he knows himself as an artist and he knows that's the best way he can tell a story. So if you'll notice, there are a lot of silent panels, and it's because I put in moments and beats uh, knowing that he was going to be able to come through on the, on the art side with an expression you know, of what wasn't said. Mm-hmm. Right. Awesome. Is, is that an actual term, beats, for um, for panels that have no uh, dialogue? I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, for me, a beat, then that's a that's a movie term. That's a screenwriting term, right? A beat yeah, is, yeah, because I saw that um, Andrew Foley's script, he uses that a lot, and I was trying to figure out what that was. E-A-T, period. You know, that's, that's like a pause, you know? So right. uh, you take a beat. I, I don't know, honestly. I don't, you know, <laughs> this sort of adapted my screenwriting uh ways uh to comics you know and i think the advantage of me personally is that i have some visual sense because i've been working on comics on the art side right for a while. oh it translates pretty well i think so um Thank when you. is uh when is the next issue of foster going to be coming out i am still trying to sort that out um diamond uh, going through diamond is a process and um so it's a long process and having already put out uh the first one I don't want to wait the six months it's going to take to go from uh, so, uh, from going through Diamond to hopefully being accepted to Diamond mm-hmm. to you know soliciting for whatever month is their next one up after that happens. So I'm probably going to do another uh, convention uh, version, probably for WonderCon. Oh, cool. Um, although I may do it sooner because I'm almost sold out of the number ones. Uh-oh. I need, um, I need to I, I'd only, I basically I printed up 500, uh, you know, signed and numbered copies and, uh, you know, anyone who I guess doesn't know, uh, I put a sketch cover on, on the back and, uh, uh, sort of my selling point is I'll do a free sketch for you. If you ever see me at, uh, you know, at a con at a signing or at a Chili's, you know, if I have my markers, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the drawing, I'll do the drawing for you for free. So, uh, I think people, you know, people like original art. So I think that helped. Yeah, absolutely. And, at the end of the day, I just want people to read it because, you know, I stand behind the story. I think it's a good story and, and people seem to like it. So I'm trying to get it into as many hands as possible. Right. Well, speaking All of that. Say, oh. um, <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm also going to the Image Expo in February. So if I sell out before before then, I'm just going to print up a convention version of issue two so that the people who bought issue one ah. don't have to wait. Because I have all the art. I have It's all lettered and it's just waiting for me to finish coloring it. Right. Um, where and uh, how can people get a hold of uh, Foster Number One? Well, uh, if you look at my website, brianbooch.com, and it's spelled phonetically, Brian and then B-O-O-C-H, um, there's a, a, a list of stores that have it. So there's a stock list, or you can actually order it uh, online from my website. And the, the good thing about doing it there uh, is that uh, you can, in the, uh, in the notes section, you can say what kind of, what sketch you want. And so when I send it to you, I will do the sketch before I send it to you. I know what I'm doing when this is over. <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually also, you can also uh, download a, a PDF for $1.99. Like if you didn't want, you know, uh, it's a higher price point because it's a, it's a limited edition. So the book is $10. It's not, you know, a $4 book. Right. Uh, when I solicit the regular series, it will be $4. But uh, uh, 
you know, at such a small print run and, and me being just this guy, you know, solo doing it by himself, it's like I can't afford to really uh, do it for less, you know, these, these small run books. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, so, having reviewed uh, it, it's, it's worth it. So, well, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Bobby, your review was great, by the way. I thought it was an awesome review. Oh, thank very you very much, Brian. Happy with thank you very much. You know um, how to throw words on a page, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's uh, move on to talking about a little about The Flash. Okay. Um, we, you actually already covered how you got um, started with it and how you, you and Francis became a team for it. Um, I want to ask, you know, taking over the Flash, you know, as the first writers and artists doing it for the new Fifty Two, it's a kind of a very unique uh, circumstance. And how did you approach that in, in, in um, like this rebooted universe or whatever? Well, I mean, we had somewhat of a marching order. You know, like there's certain things that we we were told uh, to shy away from, not to refer to, and we, they, you know, they wanted everyone, you know. I mean, obviously, everyone was supposed to be a jumping on point, right? This is, it's new. It's, you know, let's, re, let's rethink all the things that maybe didn't work about the previous series or that are antiquated or that are not fresh anymore. And let's put a, you know, put a new spin on it. So um, we had very sort of general terms. And so fr- then Francis and I decided, well, what do we want to write about? And uh, uh, we came up with a theme, which, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's probably the most important, important thing in good writing is to know you know, uh, what you're writing about, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a huge, it doesn't have to be something that you can answer right away, but if you know, kind of know what you're writing about, then you can sort of build the character and, and set up the circumstances and create the character arc, which, which you need to have obviously in any good story. Um, and so that's what we did is we decided where we wanted to take Barry and where he wanted, we wanted him to end up. And then we stepped back and said, how do we get him there? And uh, the first way was to create a villain that um, that was connected to him because he didn't he didn't have a, a villain that was emotionally connected to him as Barry Allen. And mm-hmm. so we thought, well, if we create a new villain, uh, we can do two things. We can, you know, like we said, create a new villain, but we can also uh, illuminate his his past and why he does some of the things he does. And in some ways, Mob Rule is could have been Barry had had uh, he made different choices. So uh, he's a reflection of, of what could have happened to, to Barry. Right. Yeah. Was it always going to be uh, Barry as, your, as the, the Flash in your, yes. in your Flash? Okay. Yeah, it was, ne- was never going to be Wally. Okay. Great. Um, Stephanie, I, I think we had some questions from fans uh, from, for the yes. Flash. Um, actually, you were just speaking about Wally, and uh, Theodore Bond on Twitter wanted to know, so what about Wally West? Like, what's going on with him? I've never heard that question before. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Think about that. Um, look, I mean, you know, this is... We are, we are basically given the honor of writing Flash, and we're told uh, what we can and can't do. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, we cannot include Wally West at the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's it's above my pay grade to to answer. You know, I mean. <laughs> well, how about a little bit of a question about Barry Allen then? Um, uh, Adam oh. Stabelli, who is Darkness Gotham on Twitter, um, he wanted to know what your favorite aspect of Barry Allen that you like to explore in the book. What is that? Well, um, my my personal favorite, I, I like the fact that Barry does r- what's right because it's right. 
Um, you know, I, I, you know, obviously, uh, there's been a lot of great, great tortured heroes and a lot of anti-villains that that uh, that I love throughout. You know, different forms of, of uh, fiction. Um, but I think, in a lot of a lot of ways, we've moved away from the, the guy who does the right thing because it's the right thing. And so that was really important for Francis and I early on to, uh, that we decided that uh, um, because Jeff had, had taken um, Barry through that whole transformation and the whole healing process with his mom, he handled all that. And so we were going to literally move forward from that, which is in obviously an issue one for anybody who's read mm-hmm. the metaphor of moving forward. Um, it was moving forward for the character, moving forward for DC, for us as uh, creators and for hopefully the, the readers. So um, we chose a, we chose a, a Barry that, uh, that is sort of classic hero, a classic hero that he he has a sense of right and wrong, and he has the ability to affect change because he has power. So he's going to do what's right, and it's okay if he gets hurt. He can live with the consequences, the personal consequences, because he knows he's got to do what's right. And for me, that's that's Barry in a nutshell. There's a interesting analog. People try to always compare, you know, heroes from both of the major companies and how like. Captain America and Superman are kind of compared a lot of the ways, but I think there is a big analog between Captain America and Barry Allen and the Flash. I think they're a very similar ethos in kind I of. I agree. I don't think Superman is anything like uh, like yeah. Captain America personally. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he comes from a whole different way. I mean, he's not human. He's you know he's got this enormous responsibility. I mean he's mm-hmm. he's not a you know he's not a patriot in the same way that Captain America. So I, okay. I would say I would agree with you that uh, that Barry's personality. Um, and the way he sees things it is more like Captain America. It's classic, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of timeless, you know. Maybe maybe it comes from the you know the forties sort of. We know who we knew who our, our villains were in in World War Two, and so it was easy to be like that. Maybe maybe that's part of where it comes from. But uh, there's something I like about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that makes Barry like one note or or boring, you know. Like I've heard some criticisms about Barry, and I just don't think they hold water. I think you know. Uh, if you write a good character, you write an interesting character, you know. And I think we've written him with a little bit of a sense of humor and a little bit of awareness of how awesome it is to be him, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so it doesn't matter, you know. I mean, he doesn't have to be angry at anybody. He doesn't have to be trying to fill anyone's shoes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he can just be a guy who, you know, he's a little bit naive in relationships. He's, you know, he's <laughs> he's happy to be who he is, you know. I mean, like, it, it's, how cool would that be? You're Okay, you're a cop, you solve crimes. And you get to go really, really fast. (laughs) So there's that aspect. And of course, he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget that you know that uh, that he. I mean, there's a downside to that, right? Is that he's so fast, but yet he can't save everybody. Mm -hmm. No matter how fast he is, he'll never be able able to save everybody. When he's uh, when he has a case, when he gets you know he's called to a crime scene, he's already too late. So there is a downside. So there is complexity to Barry. Right. People oftentimes don't give him the fair treatment that he's deeper than what what people seem to think. Right. Some people, anyway. Well, there's, I don't want to spoil anything if people haven't read it yet, but there's a great moment um, where he does a very interesting thing with an airplane. And kind of after it's over, he's like, that was so awesome. You know, and I think that was just great to see that, you know, in, in his character. Those are actually my favorite, I think, four four or five pages of what we've done is mm-hmm. the whole airplane, airplane sequence. And I'm, from the visuals to uh, his attitude to the anecdote about coffee, like overall, those are, of all that we've done, that's my favorite so far. 
Awesome. Very cool. Um, speaking of favorite pages, who are some of your uh, artistic influences when uh, when you're creating The Flash? Well, I mean, artistically, I mean, I handle the color side, right? So mm-hmm. I just have my own particular taste in, in colors. Like, I'm not a big fan of purple. I'm not a big fan of pink. Um, I, I, I live in the earth tones, and I like muted tones. Mm-hmm. And that works for The Flash because he's red, and he'll stand out against it. Right. Um, as far as artistic influences, uh, you know, like Francis is the guy who, who's in charge of all the designing and all the drawing. So that's a question more suited to him. I mean, uh, my influences in comics overall are, are generally from, you know, the, uh, the, the 80s. You know, I mean, uh, John Byrne, um, Chris Claremont, uh, you know, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, uh, all those guys. Those are the, the people that influenced me personally, creatively. Very cool. Awesome. Um also, I wanted to ask about. I, there's a seems to be a big emphasis on in the book uh, in the Flash on focusing on Barry's detective aspects, like the fact that he is actually a police officer and a cop and has a detective mind. Was that a, an important thing to you in in bringing the character in your inception of the character? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think you know. I think we all you know myself and Francis and uh, Brian Cunningham and Darren Shan, the editorial team, uh, all the way up Eddie Eddie Braganza, all the way up. I think everyone wanted to have a fully fleshed out world and, uh, and, you know, uh, give, uh, the due to everything around his universe. Cause you know, I mean, think about it in, in, you know, the comics that are successful and that endure, um, it's not just about that one person. It's about everything, you know, in their life, you know, Aunt May and, you know, Mary, Mary Jane and, you know, uh, Peter Parker has a pretty, uh, a pretty nice, uh, body of people around him and a world that, that he inhabits. So I think, I think, you know, in any story you write, you sort of owe it to that character to to give them a fully fleshed out world. And uh, I think one of the advantages that Barry has over Wally West is his job. He's got, you know, that's a cool job. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, so it would be silly not to, uh, I think, not to try and, and work some of that in there. Awesome. Um, obviously, the, the Flash has a one of the bigger rogues galleries. I think one of the more impressive ones in, in the in the DC universe. And I think we had a uh, a question on Twitter about um, some of those villains, right, Stephanie? Yeah, um, Hansel Marino basically wanted to know uh, what. Like, hey, he bought what? one of my books, by the way. Shout out to him. I remember that name. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he is a fan, and he wanted to know. Um, you, we're talking about new villains in the series. Are there going to be any more coming to the series? Uh, yes, there will be. Uh, we are adding um, we're adding a new rogue for sure, at least one new rogue. Um, and we are redefining uh, a couple of the rogues. Um, okay. We have we have plans for uh, for new characters as well as the old characters and the rogues. The rogues are, are going to be a little different than what you remember. And okay. hopefully it's a, it's in a refreshing like fresh take. Not, I know some people will be angry because people get angry on the internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't please everybody. There's always yeah. going to be at least that one person. Right. Or several. <laughs> yeah. Or several. But no, I mean, you, you go on the internet and then you know someone says, "I love the way you did X," and then you read, you scroll down, and the next man goes, "I hate the way you did X." <laughs> everybody <laughs> thinks they can do a better job. <laughs> They're lying yeah. to themselves. Um, yeah, because either you or Francis put on your Twitter, I think a couple of weeks ago, a months ago, uh, uh, Captain Cold um, rendering for that's going to be coming in the future, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that got me a little excited. <laughs> yeah, uh, Captain Cold. Um, 
Gorilla Grodd's going to be coming up. Um, we have a new character who based the solicitation, Turbine. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the solicitation for eight. I have not uh, yet, no. Yeah, it's a new character. Nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Sammy, do we have any more Twitter questions? Yeah, we just have one more. Um, and it's from someone who asked a question about Foster, Kyle W., a.k.a. Zot800. Um, he wanted to know if you see much of a difference between the Flash when he's in the Justice League as opposed to when he's in his own solo book. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a difference in terms of, of the writing. You know, uh, the, you know, uh, Jeff has uh, a very clear vision of who Flash is to him, and um, I don't think I don't think it compromises what we do or vice versa. It's just a different take, you know. Um, uh, and let's be honest, uh, Justice League takes place what five years before uh, the the rest of the fifty two books, so. Um, He's doing he's doing things in Flash that we I don't even, we don't even know you know we don't even know exactly where he's going in Justice League you know we don't have you know uh, that much advance warning so we just sort of have to do it our own way you know and uh, uh, believe me they would tell us if we were doing it wrong <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I know you know I, you know uh, Jeff is nice enough to speak to me every now and then so. Um, you know, he he's very forthcoming uh, about his his opinions on uh, on technique and uh, and uh, approach. Uh, he's never said do it this way or you should do that. You know, I've pitched him ideas and and he might ask, uh, uh, you know, what does that mean to Barry or how does that fit within you know within you know his world or you know something like that. But he's he's never said you know make him do this. Right. Um, I'm sure you can't talk about it, but uh, I have to ask: Is there any hints about what's coming for the Flash in the near future? Um, different rogues. Um, so we've got we've got rogues, we've got uh, Gorilla Grodd, and then we're going to have a big showdown, um, uh, like multi rogue showdown down the road. Oh, nice. And uh, uh, also, um, Flash will be uh, going into the Speed Force. And we'll we'll sort of learn um, what is the Speed Force and what is Flash's purpose. We want to definitively say. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, that has got me even more excited. Yeah, now. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, Steve, do you have anything else you want to ask before? No, I think I think that everything was, uh, or maybe not, but... Uh... <laughs> No, I'm kind of just I'm just kind of taking it all in. <laughs> um, um, let me see. What else do we got? Um, what about uh, like promotional materials? Like where? Well, obviously people know where they can find the Flash, but uh, <laughs> right. Like when is the when is the next issue coming out? That's uh, Wednesday, number well, five. It's the end of the Mob Rule arc uh, comes out uh, Wednesday, and anybody who's in LA, I'll actually be at Comic Bug on Wednesday, um, and that's in I think is it Redondo Beach, Manhattan Beach, Comic Bug. Google it. Um, I'll be there with uh, new copies of Flash and whatever copies I have left of Foster. Awesome. Um, any other appearances coming up that you want to tell people about? Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, just Image Expo. I'm definitely going to that in February in Oakland. I'm going to WonderCon in Anaheim in March. I'm also going to Emerald CityCon in Seattle. And I'm just trying to line up some other stuff. But those are the ones that I've locked down. Uh, awesome. I actually did find uh, my one question that I have left for you. Um, if you could collaborate with any uh, artist or writer, like of your of your dream team, what would it be? Dream team, huh? I mean, I have a pretty good partner right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So that's very dreamy, and he's dreamy. Um, <laughs> but uh, if, if I could choose an artist for, let, let's say, uh, if I could have had any artist for Foster, I probably would have uh, uh, asked for Raphael Albuquerque. Ooh, nice. But he just does it way above my pay grade again. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe after they see the success of Foster, you can get them on the next project. No, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> oh, as far as Foster, I am committed to doing six issues. I want it to be an ongoing, but I am going to not stop before six. I, I need. I want to at least finish the first arc. Hopefully enough people will start buying it, and uh, it'll be feasible for me to continue it as an ongoing series. That'd be great, it's man. definitely Sorry. getting a lot of uh, buzz on Twitter. I see lots and lots of people talking about it and giving it great reviews. So, I mean, that's got to be worth something. It, yeah. I mean, so far, no one's hated it publicly. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely something. I mean, you don't want people going on Twitter and or anywhere, really, and just being like, oh, it's the worst. Did you see this new book? <laughs> yeah, I, and it's I did, definitely I did. not the worst. It's I let amazing. Somebody, uh, uh, let a friend read issue two. Somebody who really liked issue one, and um, I was told that issue two is better than issue one. Ah, so. sweet. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, everybody who ever comes out with issue two says issue two is better than issue one. Yeah. You're but, like anybody who ever pimps a sequel on like a talk show. Right. <laughs> and when issue three comes out, I'm pretty sure it's going to be better than issue two. It just keeps Which is weird because you may just want to just want to start with your best one. Why not have one be the best <laughs> and worst? Like, why'd you save all your bullets for three? Yeah. <laughs> you can't lay it all on the table first. You got to get people coming back. It's like, you know, like a drug dealer. The first That's taste right. and then you give them back. <laughs> Agreed. That's right. I just compared Brian Bucciolato to a drug dealer. <laughs> people need their foster fix, man. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah. Um, oh, also, uh, just want to get on your, your website, uh, brianbooch.com. Yes. Right, and at Brian Booch on Twitter. Yes, and I'm, I'm highly tweetable to those out there who wish to convey their thoughts to me. Right. You've always been very receptive of us, and so yeah, it, you've been great on there. I'm one of those people who obsessively holds on to my iPhone, so I'm always <laughs> checking things. Don't so. we all? Yeah. <laughs> It's an appendage at this point. I haven't been paying attention to this entire interview. I've just been looking at my iPhone the whole time. See what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I wasn't even paying attention to myself talking. I was looking at uh, stuff. My God, Words with Friends. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm also highly playable on Words with Friends, but I win um, 9 out of 10 games. So I warn you, if you challenge me, there's a great likelihood you will lose. Oh, man, I'll get stomped. (laughs) Is it Brian Booch? Is that your Words with Friends thing? Brian Booch also. Okay. And there was a fan... uh, who talked a little smack to me and challenged me, and I proceeded to drop two seven-letter words on him immediately. Oh! <laughs> Stomp him down. five spot on him overall. <laughs> I think I'm like one for seven in that I keep on uh, quitting, retiring. Oh, yeah? I'm terrible. I try to keep my playing to people I know I can at least usually beat so i feel good about myself no but you know what kills me is that people are coming out with words that to me they're not even words like i get like xi and they get like yeah, 47 see, points qi qat xu i mean you have, i mean if you want to play that game you yeah but ca is yeah. it just trial and error or are you actually like actively looking for for these words when to i first use? started playing scrabble um i, I looked at the scrabble dictionary and um like a long time ago, I went online and like I thought I was pretty good because I would beat everyone I knew. And I found a site with where uh, you can play people, and I kept losing to these women 
who lived in Florida that were like 90 years old. <laughs> and they were just, just wiping the floor with me it's and a, using all those words. It's and a so bridge, like, okay, uh, bridge circuit with iPhones. <laughs> Teach me your ways. Yeah. So, yeah, I learned from the blue hairs in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, QI um, till you die. Crocheting and playing words with friends. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know, Words with Friends is easier because Words with Friends, you can just throw in letters and see if they work, whereas in Real Scrabble, you can't do that. It's true. It's true. It's I like true. Uh, mixing them around the shuffle and then being like, oh, and then I still lose. <laughs> <laughs> There's sometimes where I feel bad. Like, I'll, I'll put a, I'm like, this is not a word. And I'll hit send and I'll be like, it's a word. And I'll be like, yeah, I didn't really know that was a word. I just put <laughs> random letters down and hoped. Yeah, but in, in Words with Friends, you don't, you don't have to front like you know the word that it's a word. You're like, dude, it fit. They accepted it. Move on. But there's like that chat thing too. And I've had like a couple friends where I'll make up a word and they'll be like, use that in a sentence. Come on. Just this isn't just tell sentences me, like, with no. friends. This is words with friends. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, Brian Booch, comic book writer, Scrabble player. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Scrabble um, champion. Exactly. Well, I mean, only... I'm sort of semi-pro. I'm not really professional or anything. Gotcha. Like I saw that uh, that documentary on the on those real Scrabble players, and they're just oh, nuts. wordplay. Oh wait, no, that's yeah. not, that's a crosswords. No, but there was one for Scrabble. It definitely was. I did see that one. <laughs> I saw the one that was narrated by John Stewart. We yeah. are we are we are going far off a of field. I so think we got we, we got to tag words with friends in this uh, yeah. in this podcast. Well. If all else fails, at least you know you have a future in semi-professional words with friends That's and right. or Scrabble. I'm hoping <laughs> to get some endorsements. So, <laughs> all right. I want to get endorsement from Roger. That's what I want. I want to wear the Roger shirt. <laughs> the I'll take Gary Webster. I don't mind. I mean, Roger is my preference. Like texting gloves that have like the logo on them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Little flash lightning bolts on yeah. the sides. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so uh, thank you again Brian for being here Absolutely. and joining us um, if you want to get in touch with us it's at Talking Comics on Twitter uh, TalkingComicBooks.com where you can see a review of Foster and all the issues of The Flash that Brian has been writing on um, also info at TalkingComicBooks.com if you want to email us um, and let us know what you thought of this podcast and all of our other stuff so thank you very much thank you very much Brian for being here oh thanks for having me um, for Steve Bye-bye. And Stephanie. Toodaloo. I knew you were going to say toodles. I knew that for some reason. (laughs) It's a Canadian thing, apparently. Like A. (laughs) A. (laughs) I've been Bobby. Till next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.